We're turning now to uh, the first half of our Bibles, Genesis chapter 21, as we continue our studies in the life of Abraham, this man who lived by faith in the Christ who would come and who now has come. And we're reading today chapter 21 from verse 1 through to verse 20, uh, sorry, to verse 21. And if you're following in the NIV this morning, um, you will notice that I am making some changes in words, or in a word, as I go through. I want you to pick up on those, because it will come into the sermon later on. And um, I want to talk to the boys and girls about this as well. So, Genesis chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, or visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And his son Isaac was eight days old. Sorry, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the lad and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the child. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bowshot away. For she thought, I cannot watch the child die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the lad crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the lad crying as he lies there. Lift the lad up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. 
Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Pan, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Amen. Let's turn then in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 21 and uh, page 21 if you're using the church Bible. It is usually a feature of children that they find it hard to wait. They have little concept of time. Uh, You who are parents will know how you go on a journey in the car and ten minutes into an hour long journey the question comes from the back seat are we nearly there daddy? Or when there is a school trip happening uh, children will sometimes say and trips are happening this time of the year I can't wait until Friday and our young people who attend church camps often say when the summer holidays begin I can't wait until the week of camp how good are we as adults at waiting if you decide to do some work your home, painting, decorating, renovating, does it have to be done yesterday when you go to the builder? Or can it wait for a month or a year if needs be? Waiting is an integral part of the Christian's life. Scripture teaches there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the sun. And the implication is that we are to await the times and seasons that God appoints for our lives. We are living, however, in an instant age, instant copy, instant communication, and instant many things. And it makes us, as Christians, find it harder to wait on the Lord. Waiting for the Lord is at the heart of the songs we sing, the songs that Christ himself sang. And so he spoke about, often in his life, about the time has not yet come. He was waiting for the time of his father, for the different stages in his earthly life to unfold. He learned that from the Psalms that he sang. We sang earlier from Psalm 25, I wait on you. Psalm 27, wait on the Lord, be strong and take heart. Psalm 37, wait on the Lord and keep his way. Have you learned to wait on the Lord in your life? And by that I don't mean sitting back in idleness. 
but rather getting on with where you're at now, the responsibilities that Christ has given to you now, and doing those and fulfilling those as you await his further purpose for your life to be fulfilled. Abraham and Sarah have had to wait not a few days or a few weeks or months or a few years but 25 years for the son of promise. And they haven't found it easy. They've made several mistakes along the way. They've risked the promise on a number of occasions. But here now in chapter 21, the Lord ends their waiting. And he brings to fulfilment the promise and the purpose of God for their lives. The chief thing that they were going to accomplish in their lives. And was going to leave a legacy for the generations to come right down to our own day and right down to the end of time that is going to be bring untold blessing uh, by God's grace and purpose. So we're thinking this morning then about waiting on the Lord. We're going to look at this chapter under four headings. Waiting on the Lord who visits Sarah. Can you wait on the Lord to visit you in the unfolding of his purposes and his promise for your life. Verse 1 is the key verse here. But we're looking at verses 1 to 7. The Lord visited Sarah. Why do Abraham and Sarah not have a son before this? Well if we were to look at it at a human point of view. We would say the problem lies with Sarah. Throughout the years of their marriage, as she has been unable to conceive a child. Right back when we were first introduced to her, Genesis 11 verse 30, even before she was a believer, we're told, now Sarai was barren, she had no children. But then, around that time, she became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. As God revealed himself to Abraham and Sarai in Ur, the place where they worshipped false gods. But significantly, Sarai's barrenness didn't disappear. It didn't end the moment she became a believer. It wasn't a gospel which said, come to Jesus, and whatever problems you have in your life, they'll immediately disappear, and everything will be rosy in the garden. No, this woman's barrenness continues for 25 years. And the pain and the shame of that, the disappointment of that month after month, year after year, and the hopelessness of that as the years roll on and she passes beyond the years of childbearing, it's exacerbated by the fact that God has said continually that Abraham will have a son and Sarai will be the mother of that son. But month after month, year after year, for 25 years, it simply doesn't happen. What are we to learn from that as believers? 
Well, surely when we must learn that the promises of God to us in Christ and the purposes that God has for us in Christ in your life and in my life are not fulfilled instantly or immediately. We may have to wait long to discover our vocation in life, to find a marriage partner, a spouse that will be equal to our need. We might have to wait long to see family converted, whether our children, our parents, or brothers or sisters. We may have to wait long to see Christ build his church among us and through us. To be a Christian doesn't mean there will be no disappointments, no hurdles, no setbacks. We're to learn to wait on the Lord in all things. So what is the reason for their childlessness? Well, yes, as we said, it was Sarah at the human level. But scripture takes us behind the scenes and reveals that the Lord God Sarah's saviour and Abraham's saviour is actually the cause of her childlessness. Because the Lord has closed her womb until the time of his appointment. Genesis 21 and verse 1. And the Lord was gracious, or the Lord visited Sarah, and Sarah conceived. The very moment the Lord visited Sarah, Sarah Conceived. The verb visit is used in scripture in two ways. It's used to visit in his grace. Genesis 54, sorry, Genesis 50 verses 24 and 25. Joseph spoke of God visiting his descendants in grace, bringing them out of Egypt at a future time. He visits in grace. To end some situation of distress or suffering. Some situation that's abnormal. But he also, in a second sense, visits in his judgment. Exodus chapter 20 verse 5. Talks about visiting the sins of the fathers upon the next generation. And so he visits because of unrepented sin and rebellion. The Lord visits in grace. He visits in judgment. And here he's visiting Sarah in his grace. Removing her barrenness. Enabling her to conceive what she couldn't do as a young woman. And what she shouldn't be able to do as an old woman. So what does the Lord do here? Well if we can put it like this. The Lord puts the biology right. For her to conceive. We shouldn't think of Sarah's conception as similar to that of the Virgin Mary. Some commentators suggest it is, but it's not. Mary's conception was supernatural in that no man was involved. Yes, Sarah's conception is miraculous in that it happens outside of the normal age for bearing children, but it is not supernatural. Because Abraham is involved. And Abraham fathers this child, Isaac. 
The verb visit is used in the same sense in 1 Samuel 2, verse 21. The Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And again, Hannah's husband, Elkanah, was involved. So the Lord visits Sarah. Verse 2, and Sarah bore a son to Abraham. And this fact is repeated and emphasised with the repetition of the verb bore in verse 3 twice, in verse 5 once, and verse 7. Yet I've borne a son in his old age. The Lord visits Sarah, and his purpose for her to bear a son comes to pass, despite her old age. And notice how this visitation of the Lord so that she bears a son. It happens, verse 1, as the Lord had said. Verse 1, what he had promised. The Lord doing what he promised. Verse 2, at the very time he had promised. Do you and I have that confidence in the Lord? To wait upon him? So that we bear whatever it is. That he purposes for us in our lives. And it will come to pass as he has said. It comes to pass as he has promised. It will come to pass at the time he purposes. Not our time. Not my time. Not your time. But his sovereign time. So how do Sarah and Abraham respond to the Lord's gracious dealings with them. Well, there's two words that sum up their response to this visit of the Lord to them. First of all, obedience. Verse 3. Abram gave the name Isaac. Go back to chapter 17, verse 19. He was told, you will call him Isaac. Abraham obeys. Verse 4. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Back in Genesis 17 verse 12. Every male among you who's eight days old must be circumcised. They must have the sign of the covenant. The eight day old child must have the sign of the covenant placed upon them. And Abraham does that. So there's how Abraham responds to this gracious visitation of the Lord this blessing of the Lord as the Lord's purpose unfolds Abraham obeys everything that he knows he should do and then Sarah notice the joy of Sarah verse 6 God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me verse 7 note the surprise uh, sorry note the note of surprise and wonder and joy. Abraham obeying and Sarah rejoicing in the purpose of God and the promise of God to them. How does this apply to us? Well, in the preaching of the gospel, the Lord visits us in his grace today. The Lord is visiting us. Every time we come together in church. Every time we open the scriptures. Every time we call upon the name of the Lord. He is visiting us. And it's either in his grace. So that salvation is being implanted 
in our hearts and worked out in our lives more and more, or else it is in his judgment that we're turning away and we're resisting him. And the Lord, when he comes in his grace and visits, what does he do? He creates life. He creates joy. He creates obedience, the joy of a Sarah, the obedience of an Abraham. How do you know if you have spiritual life this morning? How do you know if the Lord has visited you? Is my heart responding with joy and obedience to him that I am taking his word seriously and obeying it? It's every precept, it's every line, it's every command. How might it be that the Lord is visiting me in judgment this morning? Am I closing my ears to his word? Am I going my own way and doing my own thing? Psalm 106 verse 4 says, O visit me with your salvation. Psalm 59 verse 5 says, O Lord, awake to visit all the nations. And there the idea is of judgment. And you see, there's a future day when the Lord will no longer visit in grace and he will visit only in judgment when he comes again in his glory. But today he visits you and me with his grace. What's the response in your heart and my heart this morning? Is it a response of joy and obedience towards this Lord Jesus? Who gave himself for us. The Lord waiting for the Lord who visits Sarah. Let's notice then secondly. Waiting for the Lord who establishes Isaac. Verse 12. It is through Isaac that um, your descendants will be reckoned. But we're looking at verses 8 to 12 here. Again this section. So here's Abraham. He now has two sons. Ishmael, born when Abraham was 86. That means uh, that he is now, when Isaac is born, he's a boy of 14. Because Isaac's born when Abraham's 100. So Ishmael, 14, when Isaac is born at Zero days. Ishmael is the son gotten by his own efforts. Isaac is the son of promise. Ishmael, as I've said, is Isaac's senior by 14 years. And we have observed already how attached Abraham is to Ishmael. Genesis 17 verse 18. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. That's what he said to the Lord. Abraham said to the Lord when the Lord said in a year's time Isaac is going to be born. Oh Ishmael. The point is only one of these two boys can be Abraham's heir. Only one of them will inherit the covenant blessing. Which one will it be? Well you and I knowing the whole story we would say come on that's a that's a non-brainer. It's going to be Isaac. After all, that is what the Lord has said again and again. But Abraham is not as clear 
about it. The evidence is not quite as compelling for him from his standpoint. After all, Ishmael is the older and the firstborn. And the custom and practice of that day dictate that the oldest son is to be the heir. And there's also the fact that Abram is now an old man, a hundred years of age. He's in his old age. As scripture reminds us again and again. And if you look at the pattern from the time of the patriarchs, these men have been living shorter and shorter lives. Abraham may not live much longer. He's no promise, no guarantee about how long he lives. And so at any point, Abraham may need to pass on the blessing and establish his heir. And in Abraham's mind, it is not a given that Isaac, not Ishmael, will be his heir. And so in verses 8 to 12, the Lord ensures that Isaac is the heir. The Lord establishes Isaac and rejects Ishmael. It all happens in a very unexpected way. In very unusual circumstances. Who would have thought that it would happen on this occasion when Isaac is being winged? Something that usually happens around three years of age in that culture and that day. And it may even have been older. Three, four, five. And what happens? Well, Ishmael spoils the party. Verse 8. Because what do we find him doing? We find him mocking. Um, and verse 8, at the end of it says, As Sarah saw... The son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. We've come across this verb mock before. Genesis 19 verse 14. Remember when Lot went to his future sons-in-law to say about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and to urge them to flee from the city. They thought he was mocking. And this same verb is found in Genesis chapter 39, verses 14 to 17, with regard to Joseph, this man of God who was serving in the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife takes a fancy to him. And she tries to get him to go to bed with her. And Joseph, of course, ran away and wouldn't have anything to do with it. What does she say to her master? She accuses him of, she accuses Joseph of mocking. He came to me to lie with me. This verb mock does not mean to tease gently, as a parent might do with their child in the presence of the family members, poor little boy, or something like that. It's not the kind of light banter that takes place among siblings around the meal table, or might I say even towards their father at the meal table. Or during a game of football, to mock is to use words with a barb in them. Words that are designed to penetrate deeply into the heart like barbed wire penetrates into your flesh when you're crossing over it and it catches you unexpectedly. 
This word mock, it means to despise. It means to be hostile towards. And so on the occasion of Isaac's weaning, Ishmael, this son who's grown up within the covenant, this son who's been taught about the Lord by his father, who's been prayed for, this son who's had the sign of the covenant placed upon him, what does Ishmael do towards his three, four-year-old, five-year-old brother? He mocks. He scoffs. He laughs. He dismisses him in unbelief. John Calvin puts it like this. He says, a malignant expression of scorn. He's scoffing at Isaac. Paul says, persecuting Isaac. Galatians chapter 4. It's in the order of service, our memory verse. Scoffing at the promise and the purpose of God in the life of this little three to five year old. What's he doing? What is Ishmael doing? He's mocking the Lord God. He's mocking God's word. He's mocking God's salvation. Yes, he's a covenant child, but mocking God, he's a covenant breaker. Boys and girls, boys and girls, you're privileged to be growing up in a Christian home. Well, you have a mum, a dad, grandparents who pray for you, who teach you about Christ, who show you Christ, do not grow up to be a mocker. Do not grow up to be an Ishmael who mocks the Lord Jesus Christ, who scorns the sign of baptism that was placed upon you as a child, dedicating you to the Lord from your infancy. Now Abraham seems to be oblivious to it all. Just washes over him. And Sarah has to bring it to his attention. Now, of course, Sarah, she's particularly sensitive in any case about this whole thing because Ishmael is not her son. But she rightly, she rightly sees what is happening and understands the significance of it and brings it to Abraham's attention with a clear instruction. Look at verse 10. Get rid of. Literally it is and Paul quotes it literally in Galatians, cast out that slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son. Now I believe that Abraham doesn't see things quite as clearly as that. Abraham, I think, sort of feeling well, Sarah, you're overreacting. You're going a bit too far. But the Lord sees it. As Sarah sees it. Because if we look at verse 12. We have another one of those beautiful. But God. But God. But God said to Abraham. Be not displeased because of the land. Listen to whatever Sarah says to you. Because it is through Isaac that your descendants shall be named. What's the Lord doing? He's establishing Isaac as the covenant heir. 
And he's saying, Abraham, Sarah is right. Ishmael has got to go. The Lord's purpose will be fulfilled in Isaac, not Ishmael. The Lord's purpose, you see, will be fulfilled not by works, that's Ishmael, but by faith. That's Isaac. Waiting on the Lord who establishes Isaac. Let's think about our own lives for a moment. The hesitation and the doubt. The hankering after Ishmael that Abram shows. Is that restricted to Abram only? Is it not found in my heart? And your heart too? Ishmael? Unbelief? You and I can know the will of the Lord. We can know what is right to do in a situation and what we should do but still want to do our own thing and want to go our own way. And we want to rely upon our own wisdom. And you and I as Christians even at our best we're a mixture of Ishmael and Isaac. We're a mixture of unbelief and faith. And unbelief mocks us as Ishmael did Isaac. And what do you and I have to do? We have to cast out Ishmael. We have to cast out unbelief. We have to bring it into subjection by the word of God. Because unbelief cannot be heir in our hearts with faith. And sometimes sadly, in households, I've known parents who've had to come to the point where their covenant child acts and speaks and behaves in their home like an Ishmael and mocks their God and mocks his worship and mocks other children, other siblings in the family who profess Christ and there comes a point when those parents with a heavy, heavy heart have had to say to that son or daughter you're going to have to leave. Because you're living a life of unbelief that is defiant and that is a malignant expression of scorn. But there is another application beyond personal life and family life and it's to the life of the church. And it's the application that Paul makes in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 30. Because he senses that in the church in Galatia there are Ishmaels and there are Isaacs. There are those who are living depending upon their works and not living by faith. They're living in unbelief towards Christ. And Paul, what does he say? He says, cast out 
Ishmael. Cast out those who do not believe. Those who are relying on their works. Those who are relying on, on the law. And keep in the church those who believe the gospel. It's a real challenge for much of the confessing and professing church today. Long established congregations. The longer a congregation is established, the longer its history goes back, the more likelihood there is of Ishmael's alongside Isaac's. And the Lord says, cast out the Ishmael's. Let's notice then thirdly, waiting on the Lord who enables Abraham. We're looking now at verses 13 and 14. Abraham has a clear choice. Ishmael or Isaac. Unbelief or faith. Disobedience or obedience. Following his own way or doing things God's way. And Abraham can't serve two masters. He can't have two heirs. He's a clear choice. But what a heart-rending choice this is. Put yourself for a moment in Abraham's shoes. Casting out your son of 17 years of age. He's now a hundred years of age and he's sending away the woman and the son by which he tried to accomplish God's promise and purpose for his life. It's the final painful chapter in a tragic novel that has been written over a 17 year period. And so Abraham is struggling with this. And it could well be that he struggles during the night with it. But notice how gracious the Lord is to Abraham. I believe the Lord sees Abraham's heartache and anguish. And he understands Abraham's concerns. And he answers Abraham's uncertainties. And he assures Abraham, look at verse 13. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also. Why? Why would God do that? Someone who's scorning and mocking. Abraham, because he is your offspring. There's a blessing that Ishmael will receive from God because he's grown up in the family of godly Abraham. It's not blessing that he receives in his own right. It's what we might call second hand blessing. Impersonal blessing. It's non saving blessing. It's a material, it's an earthly blessing that he receives because of a believing father. And it sometimes happens in Christian homes. 
that a child grows up and they don't trust Christ for themselves and they reject all that they've seen and heard and experienced in their home and in their church and yet God in his mercy because of a believing parent and praying parents causes them to prosper outwardly the things of this world. And that's a kindness of God. And yet what a tragic thing it is that here's a child that could have so much more but settles only for the material and the impersonal and the second hand instead of the spiritual and the personal and the eternal. So the Lord enables Abraham to cast out Ishmael. And in our lives we may face heart-rending situations. Painful, life-changing choices that are as stark and as significant for us as this choice was for Abraham. And perhaps for us too, they're the consequence of earlier sin, because that's why Abram's faced with this choice now. Yet the wonderful thing is, what the Lord asks us to do, cast out, he enables us to do, in his grace. Let's notice then finally this morning, the Lord comforts Hagar. The Lord comforts Hagar. We're looking now at verse 14 through to verse 19. The shift, the, the, the spotlight shifts now. From Sarah and Isaac and Abraham to Hagar. Imagine how Hagar must feel as Abraham sends her away. She's been in this man's house for almost 25 years. He has taken her to his bed. She's the mother of his child. And now he casts her out. Not allowing her to return. Verse 14. She wanders in the wilderness. Again, a very significant verb, wanders. It's the idea of going around in circles. Here's a woman without any definite place or destination in view. Why she didn't go back to Egypt, I don't know. That would just seem to be the natural place where she'd come from. But she's wandering. And it's this idea of going round in circles. Genesis 37 verse 15. And Psalm 107 verse 4, they wandered in the wilderness, Israel, going around in circles, making no progress, wasting their resources and their opportunities in the meantime. And that's what's happening here. Because the food and the waters running down, the longer Hagar wanders around. But what is also striking here is how and the only word I can think of 
is a Northampton word, and I can't really explain this word. And you're going to have to go to Margaret or Rosemary to explain, or Ronnie to explain this word. The word faithless. How faithless Ishmael appears. The idea of no get up and go, no backbone, immature, unprepared, just um, wanders through life. Look at Ishmael. If Isaac has been weaned at three or thereabouts, what age is Ishmael? Well, he's 17. He's 17. He's between, or thereabouts, he's between our Philip and John in age. And in that culture, in that day, 17 years old was a much more responsible age than it is in our day. For example, at 17 years of age, what was Joseph doing? He was looking after his father's sheep. And he was sent to take food to his brothers. And at 17 years of age, Joseph ended up in Egypt. Cut off from family. Cut off from the family of God. But not cut off from the Lord. It's significant. The words used here in this passage. And that's why I changed the words in the translation when I was reading it. The words used here by Sarah and Abraham and Hagar and the Lord to refer to Ishmael. No surprise how Sarah does. The son of this slave woman. He was always going to be the son of this slave woman. To Sarah. There's no significance in that. But look then at how Abraham and Hagar they always refer to Ishmael as the child. The child. Verse 14, verse 15, verse 16. So, Abraham, the child. What about the child? And Hagar, she can't bear to see the child there under the bush. And she puts the child, the child's 17 years of age, putting him under a bush, Tell him to get up and to get some water and to get some food and to get a grip on life. It's significant that the Lord always refers to him as the lad. The lad. Six times. Verse 12, verse 17 twice, verse 18, verse 19 and verse 20. And interestingly that's the same word as used to refer to Joseph at 17 years of age. The lad. Ishmael is a lad. It means a youth. It means a young man. And that's the most common translation of the word. So I believe the NIV misses something really important here. And this lad should be taking the lead in the wilderness. He should be providing for his mother. In fact, Abraham should be putting the burden on his shoulders when he sends him off. Not on Hagar. But here's a lad who acts as a child. He hasn't grown up. He's been used to being provided for. He's been used to being lifted and led. He comes across, as we would say, a mummy's boy. And if it wasn't for his mother, he wouldn't survive the desert. Women, do not rear children. Especially sons 
who are young men who cannot survive when they're thrust into the desert of life. Do not rear mummy's boys. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child, the lad, under one of the bushes. Verse 16, then she went off and sat down nearby. I can't watch the child, but it's the lad die. And she began to sob. And we feel like shouting to him, Ishmael, get up and grow up. And we feel like saying, Hagar. Get that boy of yours to grow up and to act his age. It's striking that Ishmael leaves without livestock or possessions. You see, the lad hasn't grown up. And to survive, the lad is going to have to do a lot of growing up in a very short period of time. That's the reality. But how gracious again the Lord is. And that's the great thing that we need to grasp in our lives. There's often the very sad reality in our lives that we've got to take responsibility for because we've messed up and we haven't done what we ought to have done. But then there's always this tender compassion of the Lord God. Look at what he does towards Hagar. She's the focus of God's kindness in verses 17 to 19. And the angel speaks to her, verse 17, reminding her, no doubt, of the earlier time, 17 years ago, when he'd spoken to her. Look at how he reassures her, do not be afraid. That's a classic command of the Lord to his people. It's my own personal view that Hagar is a believer. Right back from Genesis 17. The Lord's speaking to her as a believer. When he says, do not be afraid. And look at how the angel gives her hope, verse 18. God has heard, not the child, he's heard the lad. Uh, lift uh, him up and take him by the hand. Uh, for I will make him into a great nation. Lift the lad up, it is again. And God guides her to water for her and the boy to drink. Verse 19, God opened her eyes and she saw well. And she went and gave the lad a drink. The Lord comforts Hagar. As she as a believer is forced out of Abram's house into an unknown and an uncertain future because of the arrogant unbelief of her son Ishmael. That's the only reason why she's out. It's the arrogant unbelief of her son Ishmael. God cares for him. And him. And God prospers him despite his covenant breaking unbelief. Look at verse 20. Where we see he became an archer. Very good at his own trade and his own calling. And then we see the outcome of this man's ungodly living when he goes, when his mother goes to Egypt and takes a wife for him from there. As godly parents, we may suffer because of the words or actions of an unbelieving child. We may suffer painfully. And yet let us realize that God is the God of all comfort 
in Christ. And he comforts Hagar here. As she suffers because of this rascal of a son. Who's cast aside all blessing. And so let us be quick to seek that comfort. If a child or a loved one is bringing us to the point of despair. Let us learn not to be afraid. Let us remember to cast our care upon the Lord. For he cares for us. Waiting for the Lord. To visit Sarah. To establish Isaac. To enable Abraham to comfort Hagar. My friends, wait on the Lord. And be of good courage. And he will give you strength. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. <coughs> Almighty God, we marvel at the riches of your word. And we thank you that it is by your truth, as we sang earlier in Psalm 25, that we are established in the way. It's not by anyone else, it's not by anything else, except by the word of the Lord. Help us now to take your word to our hearts, to learn to wait upon you, whatever our circumstances, whatever our difficulties. Whatever our disappointments, whatever our feelings and our sins, help us to wait upon you, the Lord who visits in grace. To wait upon you, the Lord who establishes his purpose and fulfills his promise in his time and at his word. To wait upon you to enable us when we've got to cast out unbelief and sin in our lives. Help us, Lord, to wait upon you for comfort when we feel the pain of dealing with situations that are heart-rending and difficult. Help us, Lord God, in our parenting, the bringing up of our children, to cause the child to become the lad to grow up, to take responsibility, whether male or female, to live in your fear and also your favour. And not, O oh God, to be drifting through life without purpose, without hope, without direction. In Jesus' name, Amen.